What's good people, it's your boy Caesar here and this is an episode of the Highbury Club, hope all is good, you know where to find us on the socials at the Highbury Club and you know where to find me at C-Says, C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S, what's good people? Well, I don't know how to feel right now, where did the joy go? Um, seeing a little bit of um, some mixed emotions I think around the Gunasphere right now, so really trying to kind of understand what people are thinking, what people are feeling. I'm trying to kind of process myself um, where I'm at with it. Because on the one hand, there's so much that's been good about this season. There's so much that's been great about what these players have been able to do, what they've been able to produce. But inevitably, when you get so close to doing something so special and you fall short the way we did, inevitably you're going to be feeling... um, Yeah, you're going to be feeling some type of way about it. And also... um, it's not just the the falling short because let's face it, look at this city side. You see what they're doing. Falling short is is something that could happen. You know, uh, Liverpool lost out on a Premier League title by one goal. The previous season they lost out by one point. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that can happen. But it's the way we we did it. You know, starting with Liverpool, which you know in of itself is a good result and. In hindsight, you wish these players would have reminded themselves how good a result it was, despite you know um, going down from a two-two goal lead because you got a point away to Anfield. When was the last time we did that? So you know you start off with Anfield, and then there's obviously West Ham, and then Southampton, and we all know what ended up happening with City, and then of course Brighton, and now Forest. It's it's been a rough way to see a season. Um, fall apart, particularly because I feel like, and I, you know, obviously Arsenal fans all over the world, it's global. It's, it's, we're talking, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of, of fans globally. Um, so you can't ever say what the entire fan base is, see, uh, is feeling, obviously. But what I will say is that it feels like for a lot of people, they, you know, they're becoming somewhat detached from the good, the good feelings, the good vibes we had pretty much up until March or April, you know, um, which is which is disappointing, which is sad, which is harsh, but understandable, right? When you get that close, City don't give you many opportunities, right? You don't get many opportunities to win a Premier League against Manchester City. So when you have it in your hands and you don't take it, it's understandable that people are going to be questioning. But, um, you know, it's... I would love to kind of go back and just reclaim you know, even 50% of that feeling from August last year, September last year, you know, when the sun was out and we were just balling teams off the pitch, I would just love to just go back to a piece of that feeling. And I'm hoping that, you know, for the weekend coming, for the final game of the season, the fans and the players will kind of go back to that positive place and just kind of enjoy the football, support each other, positive vibes. And, you know, we end the season on a high Go into the summer in a strong position. We go again because it would be, it would be disappointing to end this season sort of on eighty-one points. You know, get to eighty-four points, 
respectable sum, nowhere near what we deserved for this season, if I'm honest. But, you know, it's what we can get. So let's go out there and get there. Um, so going to be covering a few things in this episode. Um, please do, of course, like, subscribe, follow, retweet, share, all of that good shit. But um going to be going into a few things on this episode. So there is things like, um, you know, a general state of the union. So just a general overview of my thoughts and feelings of where we're at at the moment, what's happened and what we need to do. Um, going to talk a little bit about getting the summer right. So not going to go into sort of specific targets in any kind of detail, really, just more a conversation about what we might be looking to do and why and the importance of getting the summer right. Um, and then, you know, going to look a little bit about that, uh, not for too long, but about that sort of central midfield conundrum that's appearing to to emerge because there's going to be a lot of competition for players in that position. And it's probably the, certainly for at least three, if not four teams um, at the top of the, the Premier League currently, we all need to strengthen the same positions, really. So it's going to be... Um, it's going to be an interesting one. But before we talk about that, obviously, we got the positive news the other day. New contract for Bukayo Saka, you know, four-year deal, looking at something like 250 to 280 a week, could rise to 300 plus if all incentives are, are hit. So we're talking 15 mil a year. Listen, fantastic news. Obviously, the unveiling by, by Ian Wright, brilliant as always. By the way, there is no club, no Premier League club has a legend like we do in righty like none of them do there is no legend like righty out of any of these Premier League clubs we have a gem i just need that on record but anyway i wasn't ever i wasn't particularly surprised by bukayo saka signing the contract i think it was one of those that unless something went wrong in negotiations it was always going to get done i just think it's a question of length and and price i think it's a question of length of the contract and how much how high we could go really and I think there was probably a lot of things that were going to be relevant to that, not least of which, you know, seeing things like the Martinelli contract and what he was going to be offered, what other players who were renegotiating are going to be signing on for, seeing where we finished in the league, whether it was Europa League or Champions League. Once it became clear it was Champions League, we're talking Champions League money. Um, and also, obviously, just his form and how important, he is to, how important he is to the side. The fact he's proven how important he is to our success, how we look an incredibly different team without him in it. I think um, not that we've seen that much this season because he's played, you know, he's played every Premier League game and been a part of most other Europa League games, if we're honest. But we know how important he is. Now, look, I know there's talk of the two-year contract and, um, you know, sort of, sorry, the needing to renew the contract in two years, should I say. That's, that's true. Um, but the fact is, we're in a position where we need these players to win. You know, we by the time we get to Sage Ray's contract needs to be renewed. This team needs to be in a position where it's one stuff. It's, you know, we he has the FA Cup, that's fine. But the team that won the FA Cup is not this team. There are some players still left from that team, but it's not this team. This team that we have now and the players we're going to be bringing in Will, will not feel connected to that trophy. Um, and I think the fact it happened during COVID and the fans weren't around, I really think for the players, there's a sense of disconnect to winning that. So it's great we did it, but this team needs to win stuff. That's that's a fact. And I'm not just talking, you know, 
Premier League, Champions League, we're talking FA Cup, League Cup as well. Like there are four trophies on, um, there are four trophies available. And while this season, I think for the most part, fans haven't been particularly bothered about the sort of FA Cup and League Cup. And generally people aren't too bothered about the League Cup anyway, let's face it. We can't afford to throw away chances to win trophies. Personally, I'd love to see us win the League Cup just because we haven't done it in ages, but nothing about our season would change the way we feel about it if they lifted it beyond just, yeah, well, at least they won something. So no, we want the big ones. But the fact is they need to win trophies. And we now have seven teams in the Premier League who will realistically feel like they should be able to qualify for the Champions League and seven teams who realistically feel like they should have a chance of leaving with a piece of silverware. So that's seven teams and four potential trophies, five if you include the Europa League, which some of them will be in. But you get my point. The the competition is going to get harder. Um, So yes, we're going to have to renegotiate Saka's contract in two years' time. And that's going to be a lot harder if we're not winning things. So it will be the same with players like Martinelli, Saliba, if if he signs a new one, which hopefully will, Erdegaard. The, The nucleus of this team we will struggle to hold on to it if this team isn't winning things by the time we have to renegotiate those contracts. So, yes, it's a risk, but we need these players to sign on to be able to go and kick on and compete. But we have to be able to compete and then eventually win to kind of get these players to stay. So it's clear when you listen to Saka talk, when you listen to him speak, it's clear he's in that space where he wants to win, where he's hungry for success. So we have to match that. In the past, we've had super talented players and we've not supported them with the right talent to help them succeed we've had that before you know we can all we can all mention the players we've had players in the past who could walk into the best teams in the world and we've given them players not worthy of that talent we've run them into the ground because they've ever had to comp- they've had to overcompensate for the lack of talent in other areas we can't do that with Saka we have to give him the players to help him succeed so he can help us succeed. So that's what this contract is. And it's all in his hands. No wonder it's a four-year deal because he doesn't have to sign a five-year deal. You know, if he refused to sign a four-year deal and would only be willing to sign a three-year, I'd be willing to bet the club would give him a three-year because he's one of those players we can't replace. We can't lose him. We can't replace him. So, you know, I really do think we have to kind of just be happy for the fact he signed the contract, be delighted for it. It's welcome news. It's four instead of five or six, but that is what it is. Um, I mean, there's a difference for me between this and say previous projects where, you know, players talk the talk, but nothing really gave you the impression that it mattered to them in the way that maybe it should have. You know, I remember Sesk talking about players, you know, laughing and cracking jokes at the back of the bus after bruising losses to rivals, you know, Aubameyang being captain and being late to a North London derby. Like these are not the actions of serious people. Like it's just, it's not, you know, love, love Aubameyang, love him. But like showing up late to a North London derby because you got stuck in traffic is not serious behavior. Um, Capitulations against sort of big rivals, big losses, multiple, back to back to back, getting battered by, you know, these are things we've seen. This team has to take us away from that. Um, and so far this season, we've begun the process of doing that. 
we're partway through the project, we're not done. And Saka will be likely key to any success that we could go on to achieve. Um, but because of that, it means he holds the cards in the same way Saliba does, right? There are certain players who we absolutely need, but you might be able to find a replacement in the market somewhere. But what would Arsenal have to pay and where would they have to go to get someone better than Bukayo Saka on the right? What would Arsenal have to pay and where would they have to go to get someone better than Saliba at centre-back? Particularly for the age profiles we're talking and the level of talent that they have. You have talent like that, you have to keep them. So it'll be curious to see what Arsenal have to offer Saliba to get him to stay, given how much his importance was emphasised by how the team did when he wasn't in it. So... Um, now let's be clear Saka's also pragmatic He's he wasn't going to price himself out of staying because he wanted to stay I think that's been clear by everything he said and everything he's done he's still young he's got time for another move if he wants it you know we're all hoping he's a lifer we're all hoping he's one of them players that spends his entire career at one place but from the player's perspective if he never, if he wants to move in a few years he could have it um, so we have to pay him commensurate to what he could get if he was to get one of those moves. Because how else are we going to get him to stay? We can't, you know, if your company told you we're going to pay you less than somewhere else will, but you could get a job at that somewhere else, what are you saying to them? You're, you're telling me that I can move companies, get paid, you know, X amount more every year for my job, but you want me to stay here and earn less. That's, that's a hell of a thing to say to someone. So, you know, you can't be mad at the club that the deal is only four years and then also be mad that the club is paying too much because if this is how much we'd have to pay for the four-year contract imagine how much you'd have to pay for the five-year so for me i'm just happy he signed it and speaking of new contracts obviously news broke that reese nelson is potentially getting a new four-year contract um so i think that was art de roche in the, the athletic broke the story um for me, I suspect this is sort of some of the same terms as Eddie last season. Like, I, I, I haven't read yet what the amount is, so maybe by the time you're listening, you'll know what the reported wage is. But I suspect it's a sort of Eddie situation. I wouldn't be surprised if Nelson was going to end up on something like 75. You know, I know Eddie's probably on 100 all in. But, um, but yeah, it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on sort of something like 75. Um, it's a very simple thing. If he didn't sign, he'd leave for free. And Arsenal have a problem with players leaving for free. Every club has players who is leaving for free. You know, Liverpool are losing Bobby Firmino on a free. You know, Naby Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, James Milner. Uh, Chelsea are selling Mason out because they are at risk of losing him on a free. Every team has players, but we've lost too many players on a free in recent years. Um Although Wenger called the trend, he said it was going to happen. We've we've had it happen too many times. So re-signing him stops us losing him for free. Um, it protects his value. If he goes on to be brilliant and amazing and fulfill the potential that Arteta clearly thinks he has, then fantastic. You know, we've got a really good player who came from our academy who's making a tangible difference to where we're trying to go. And if he doesn't, in a few years' time, we're able to sell him and make some money. Win-win. Um so yeah, I th I think all in all, it's understandable. Um, the desire to stay, he wants to stay. You know, he's him and his family. I think aren't too far from the stadium themselves. He's 
Arsenal through and through, been there since a kid. He was the shining star of the academy. He, you know, he was the shining star. It's, it's, there's no doubt about it. You talk to anyone at the club, they'll tell you the same thing. If there was one player who came through our academy who everyone pointed to and said, that player is going to be a star, it was Reese Nelson. It, it's that simple. So he will feel like he's made it, not least of which because he came from the academy, came through the ranks, you know, played for the first team, went out on loan, came back, played for the first team again. He's won a trophy because he was part of the FA Cup squad, uh, part of the team that won the FA Cup. So that is the equivalent of making it. But there is making it and then there's staying there and there's making a difference and creating a name for yourself, leaving a legacy, winning things. It's different. Just making it, he's done that. If he wanted to just make it and then coast, he can do that somewhere else. The question now is, when he gets this contract, what is he going to do with it, right? Because as a play, as a as an organization, as a football team, as a manager, sporting director, club executives, you don't give a player a contract for what they've done in the past to thank them. You give a player a contract for what you think that player is going to do throughout the duration of that contract. So if they're giving Reese Nelson a contract, it's because they think he's going to make a meaningful contribution to the first team over the period of the next four years or however long the contract is. So Arteta clearly sees something in Reese Nelson and Reese Nelson has shown um, where he can be impactful coming off the bench, Forrest, Bournemouth as well. Like he's shown, he's shown his ability. However, there is still a question. Can he help us get to the level we're trying to go to? You know, it's a bit like Eddie, right? When we when we compete for top four, Eddie's cool. Is Eddie going to help us get to the level where we can win a Premier League trophy? Right? When Jesus was injured and Eddie stepped in, he was kind of scoring at a top four rate, essentially, keeping us sort of top four-ish with, with the goals he was contributing. But with where we're trying to go, is that enough? Do you know what I mean? That's the question. Now, for me, I think Eddie's a top player. I think he can go as far as he wants in the game in terms of just being a, a pure goal scorer. He's improved his overall play. He's demonstrating more, he's showing more, but that's in a way because he's getting more minutes. But I had the same question for Reese Nelson as I had with Eddie, which is actually, you know, while it's good for the club to kind of retain the talent, to protect the value, to be able to sell them later for a profit and see if they can grow into something that can do something for us, is it best for them and their careers? Like, you know, Reese Nelson is not going to be a starter at Arsenal at all. He would have known that going in, but he wants to stay fair enough. But is it better to stay here and be a squad player who may end up on the periphery if everybody else raises the levels and he doesn't or isn't able to? Or is it better for him to go to another club in Germany or Spain, you know, or another club in England and play week in, week out and be their go-to wide player? Me personally, I think for his career, it's probably better for him to go and play. Go and play. Go and be the man somewhere. But if the player wants to stay, if the club want him to stay and they found terms that they agree on, then everybody's happy and it's difficult to say it's a bad move for a player. If he gets to stay where he wants to stay and he gets to be by his family and the club want him to stay and they see potential in him, I can't. you, you can't sit there and say it's a bad move. It's, you know, everyone's happy with the situation. So um, it will be on him to prove he's worth it. If not, he'll be 26, 27 when his contract comes up. We'll be in a position to earn a fee on him, um, something which we've done Bradley uh, previously, as we've said. So 
yeah, it just shows how far he's come on this season, to be honest. Um, no one really gave him a chance. Everyone kind of thought, okay, he'll probably go out on loan. And I think he might have even left had he not got injured in the summer. I'm pretty certain um, there was a chance for him leaving and he got a small injury in the summer. Um, but no one really gave him a chance and he's gone on to prove himself. Um, so yeah, the question is, can he help us get to the next level? I'm not going to write him off because I did not expect what I expected from Granite Shaka. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, and look what he did. Uh, look at us. No one gave us a chance this season. I did certainly didn't think we'd be competing for a Premier League. I don't know about you guys. I did not think we'd be competing for the Premier League this season. And we've gone on to do it. Um, so you'd be surprised. Sometimes people can surprise you. So happy for Reese. He's clearly worked really hard and shown Arteta that he has the talent, the work rate, the attitude to to kick on. Um, but now he has to show he can help us get to the next level. And that is a ridiculous standard to reach because of how good Man City are and just what they're doing. When you think of how ridiculous, you know, and we know all the stuff going on around the 115 uh, charges in the Premier League and all of the conversations around them and their their funding model and all of that. But just purely talking about what they do on a football pitch, it's ridiculous what they do. You know, when Liverpool are able to get to, you know, 97 points, go an entire season where they lose one and draw seven and still not win a league, that's what we're up against. So the players we keep, like Reese Nelson, have to help us overcome that. That's the level, really, um, if they want to win. Now, for me personally, I've always said, and so I can't be a hypocrite when we start doing it, and, and say I'm miserable. I've always said, I want an Arsenal team that can compete. I want an Arsenal team that's competitive. If we can compete and pick up trophies here and there, you know, if you can if you can grab yourself a Premier League trophy here, if you can sneak yourself a European trophy there, an FA Cup here, a League Cup there, you know, if we can compete, genuinely compete, be in with a chance of winning trophies and pick some up along the way, I'm a happy, happy man. I don't need us to be Real Madrid and win the Champions League every single year. I don't need us to be Bayern Munich and win the Premier League 10 years in a row. It would be amazing, but I don't need it. But I just want us to compete. What I don't want is for us to just be floundering, nowhere near it, to, to go up against so-called rivals and just get brushed aside. Like, you know, it. that's what I don't want. And that's what's been happening for too long. I want us to be competitive. And that's where we are. So I can't pretend I'm unhappy. It's just when you get so close to doing, you know, the, the doing something so ridiculously amazing as potentially winning this Premier League title against a team like this when you get that close and you fall short naturally you're going to be disappointed but like I said I didn't even expect us to be here so what can I really say um, I really didn't I really didn't expect us to get to this level um, and, but we did and we're here now um, we did phenomenally well um, at the start of the season um, all the way past the World Cup even, there were starting to start to, to wobble. And then obviously there was Liverpool. The decline was steady and unmistakable. West Ham, Southampton. And then, of course, we know what happened against City, crashed and burned. And it's been an eventful few weeks since the Chelsea win, you know, beat Newcastle, lose to Brighton, lose to Forest. Um, <clears throat> with the Forest game, it's... It's a game where I don't know how many of you felt this, and I'm not just saying it because of the result. It was a game I looked at and I thought, that's the type of game we could drop points in. I, you know, And to be fair, Man City dropped points away to Forest. They drew 1-1. One, one. 
But I looked at it and it was the kind of game I thought we could lose. We could drop some points in this game. Um, and they won. Uh, it's, what always goes to my mind is that people look at um, calendars, schedules. They look at teams and they go, we can beat them. We can beat them. We can beat them. Oh, that one will be tough. We can beat them. We can beat them. And over the last few seasons, again and again and again, it has shown that teams can beat clubs that they think are tough and drop points against teams they expect to walk over. Like I said, last season, you know, there was Southampton, Brighton, Palace, drop points against them, drop points against Everton, drop points against Brentford. You know, this season, Southampton, twice, 20th, terrible, terrible team, played terrible football. We dropped points against them in two separate occasions, right? Um, drop points against Forest, like we just said. West Ham, South. It's just, it's, you can't always expect to beat the teams you should, quote unquote, beat. You just can't expect it. And I think there are some games that, on some occasions, it felt like people just expected us to win. And, they, you know, and for me, that's never been the case. You have to earn the right to play and you have to earn every point and every victory. We cannot go into any game expecting the win. I just don't think. Um, I don't think that's how it works. You can go into a certain game confident. You can go into a game saying all things being equal, this is the team you should beat. But I don't think you can go in expecting the win. Um, there are just no guarantees in this sport. So yeah, um, when it came to Brighton, I really felt like the City defeat kind of just knocked the wind out of us. And you know, once they got that first goal, any belief we still had just kind of evaporated. Um, at Forest, there was one mistake by Odegaard. They transitioned on us. We failed to get back. Um, they scored and they sat in their low block and defended it well. And that was just it. Um, so in this sport, in this game, it's fine margins. Sometimes that's what it is. It's fine margins and that's the difference between winning and losing. So with all of that, what now? Where are we? What's the situation? How are people feeling? Um, well, this for me... This is my State of the Union. So what do Shutter Island, Greece, War of Worlds, Hancock, I Am Legend, what do they all have in common? Otherwise, good movies, in part, ruined by their endings. And that's kind of how I feel about the season. Now, that's a bit strong. I don't think the season's been ruined per se, but it kind of feels a little bit that way. Um, if I'm honest, proud of the players for what they've done so far, just some incredible football and an incredible amount of consistency. Um, just the standard of football was ridiculous. The level of control we displayed, the amount of dominance, um, the creativity, the goals, it just everything, honestly, incredible stuff. But before the season started, I did not see us doing what we're doing. I didn't see us going full-blown, you know, inverted fullback, you know, 3-2-5 or 2-2-4, two, two, you know, whatever it is. I just, I didn't, I didn't, you know, yeah, 2-2-2-4. Two, 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 I didn't really see, I didn't see it. Um, what the, what Arteta has been able to build, how these players have been able to adjust to what he wants, how they've been able to understand what it is he's looking for. Um, just, just incredible. Really, really incredible. I can't blame them for the way the season ended. I, I just can't bring myself to do it. I can't blame these players for not being able to keep it up. I 
we've all said that this has come early in the process. And I think this is what early in the process looks like. I think when you are provided an opportunity that you're not ready for, this is the kind of thing that can happen. And I just feel like the squad isn't ready, isn't yet ready for what the, the, the situation we found ourselves in. And in part, we found ourselves there because the players in our squad who are ready uh, played out their skins, really. They played to the fullest of their potential, which got us as a squad in a position where we could win a title, but the squad itself isn't ready for that. The, the, you know, the starting 11 that we could all name, they probably are. But below that, I'm not entirely sure. Um, look, for this sort of run-in, we're on a 50-point pace, so it's easy to be critical. Uh, we're on course to take as many points from our final 10 games as we took in our first five. We have zero goal difference in our last nine games, 12 points from our last nine games out of a possible 27. Add that to the performance in some of these games, and it's easy to see why some fans have felt a little bit disconnected from the good times this season. If we did well, you know, started strong, you balling teams off the pitch, had a mid-season dip, and then finished strongly, maybe it feels differently because it would be like, oh, you know, valiant effort, guys. You had a bit of a rough patch and you clawed it back and then you, you kept going. It would hit different. But because we kind of started strong, powered through, started to falter a bit, engine started to stutter and splutter, and then it just sort of, crawled to a halt because it happened like that people just feel naturally despondent about it um it's and I, I get that i do i do get that and obviously we can't you know it, it's easy to say if things have happened differently you'd feel differently of course it's an obvious point but the, the reason I make that point is because we, you know, we got the points we got. We pushed as hard as we pushed. We, you know, the league was still in play up until week 35, technically speaking. So it, it's really, really harsh to, to, to lose some of that affection and love for the squad and what they've been able to do when the league was still in play with three games to go. It's a hard, hard thing to do, you know. Being in contention of winning the league with three games to go is as close to competing as you can get without taking it to the final day of the season. And I really wish we could have taken it to the final day of the season. Um, I mean, I wish we could have obviously obviously gone on and won it, but I still have to feel positively ultimately about what these players did. And I'm I'm trying hard not to let the last few weeks impact the overall positive feeling I've had about these players because... As I, said, as I said at the start of the season, my whole thing for this season was enjoying the ride. Whatever happened, wherever it took us, wherever it went, just enjoying it. Because what we were doing this season, you know, we haven't done for some time. I saw a piece written by um, Tim Stillman. I think he might have, it might have been released yesterday, talking about sort of the meaningfulness of enjoying really, really high moments. Um with uh you know following the arsenal because it can be a while until you see them again and the drop-off can be pretty sizable and i was having a conversation with a friend of mine actually um yesterday 
Um, so he's a Liverpool fan and I was saying to him, you know, he was talking about how different Liverpool fans he's talking to are feeling about it and some of them are being hypercritical, particularly of players like Salah and stuff like that. And I'll say to him, you know, a few years back when Liverpool were, you know, winning Premier League, Champions League, I was saying to him, dude, enjoy it. Just enjoy this moment because you guys are at a level that is incomprehensible and even the slightest drop off from that level is going to feel like falling from a 200 foot building just because when you're that good anything that's not that will feel rubbish by comparison and you won't you won't realize it you'll think the team is bad just because you're not playing like that but you don't realize that that standard that you're playing to is the pinnacle it, it and that's what it is so with the way we're playing, we've still got more to go. We we can still get better. We can still add quality. We can still go on and do something with this squad. But I'm also trying to make sure I remember to enjoy the good times because just two seasons ago, the football we were playing was not this. So if we can change like this in two seasons, imagine the how good we can be in another two seasons. But also imagine how bad we could be in another two seasons. There is a small undercurrent of... of Arsenal supporters online who you can just tell there's a groundswell they're sort of bubbling below the surface every now and they again they pop their head up who are just waiting for Arteta to fail so they can say we told you so he's a fraud now I'm not really one to try and police how people support each to their own and obviously you have to take social media with a pinch of salt because some of them are just trolls some of them aren't even fans yada 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 but what I will say is there is this sort of underbelly of people who just don't vibe with him. And to be honest, if a manager joins your club and you just don't vibe with them, it's a bit like a player. If a player joins your club, you don't vibe with them. Fair enough. Like it is what it is. But what I would say is most managers' careers at clubs end badly because the vast majority of managers get sacked. That's that's what it is. Very few managers have a story at a club end positively Fergie managed to do it he left on a high won the league and bounced right if Wenger had left 10 years earlier he would have done the same thing left on a high you know did the invincibles won most Premier Leagues and FA Cups took us to a Champions League final and said this is as far as I go I'm off to Real Madrid he didn't and so his story ended differently still ended with a relatively sweet moment but bittersweet um you know someone like um, Graham Potter at Brighton. He left to go take a bigger job at Chelsea. So he wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he burnt himself out, took him as far as he could and just got kicked out of the club. He left having made them better, but then went to Chelsea and got booted out after a few months. Ended badly. Most managers' times at clubs were in badly. The chances are Arteta at Arsenal goes one of two ways. He goes on and does really, really well. And then a club like Barcelona or Man City come along and offer him the chance to do something great and he goes and takes it. Or he takes this team as far as he can go. The players no longer take to his authoritarian style. They start to drop off. The team starts to perform badly and he's out the door. So if there are people there who are sort of feel and if you're one of them listening and you just don't really rate Arteta and you think eventually this is all going to come crashing down the odds are you're correct that it will come crashing down 
the question is, what will we do in the meantime? Now, it might not. He might go on to achieve incredible success, get a massive offer, you know, be able to go back to Barcelona and win La Liga there and compete for the Champions League and blah, blah, blah. But there's also a chance that before he makes the move, whether it's voluntarily or he's booted out, there's always a chance he could do something here. And he came pretty close this season. You know, we we pushed Man City, like I said, to game week 35. Um, the players who were, you know, who were really crucial to the way we've grown throughout this season just fell off a cliff, whether physically, whether mentally, wherever it was, they fell off a cliff a bit. You know, players like Erdegaard, Party, White, Zinchenko, Jesus, you know, I mean, Saka was knackered, really, if we're honest. Um, so what could we do when when it all falls down and, you know, for example, the Brighton game, Pim's o'clock, you know, April spritz time, it's daiquiri season, get them on the beach let them forget that football exists, you know, give them their training measurements so they can stay fit and whatnot in, in the summer. But otherwise, let them just forget about football and have a few weeks where they don't have to do anything and just let them relax so they can recharge the batteries. Because next season, if, if people thought this season was going to be intense, next season's going to be even more intense. Um, and look, I hate invoking comparisons, talking about intense, but... As I said, we are competing with this monstrosity of a Man City side. Look what they did to Real Madrid. We're talking of Real Madrid with the likes of Benzema, Vinicius Jr., Tony Cruz, Modric, Carver Howe, Rudiger, you know, Courtois, Kamavinga, Tukmeni. This is these these this is not a joke of Real Madrid side, and they eviscerated them. Um and they did it not just with the help of questionable financial practices, allegedly. They managed their squad really, really well. Um, we, When we had a point um, in the season where we started to wobble, we kind of pushed through and kept doing the same thing. When they had their wobbles at the start of the season, they found a way to stabilise mid-season. They figured out the defense. They figured out where Kanji needs to be, where Ake needs to be, where Stones needs to be. Um, the De Bruyne Haaland access, they figured out, you know, De Bruyne was going a bit too direct. And then the switch flipped and they started to steamroll the teams. And then when it got towards the latter stages, a few more one nils, a few more two ones, they did what they needed to do. We sort of, we went in, we got a bit too cavalier particularly post-World Cup, needed more control, needed to be more stable. We didn't, and there the season went. Um, to be honest, it probably boils down to the fact that we didn't have enough of the right profile of player at the right level to play the kind of football we needed to play when we needed to play it. Um, you know, we had to go to the Vieiras, the Holdings, the Nelsons, etc. when City were turning to the Akes, the Stones, the Akanjis. We needed players who were maybe a bit more physical, a bit more... Um, technically gifted we had a bit more composure um we we didn't have that really you know for example we might have a player who had the size like a rob holding but doesn't have the technique or the composure we might have a player like who had the technique like a viera but didn't have 
the size, um, for example. So they had players all over the pitch who had the right profile, whereas, you know, we didn't. Now, of course, the size thing doesn't matter if you have the technique of a Gundogan or a Bernardo Silva. Um, and that's the thing, really. When we're talking about the kind of players we need to bring in and the profile we need to bring in, you're looking for players who have all of it, you know, the size, the technique, the composure, and the mental fortitude to be able to cope, to cope with the pressure. Part of the reason Man City have been able to do what they've been able to do is because they have the resources to bring in all of that all over the pitch whenever they want, whenever they need it. They can bin off players like Sane, like Cancelo, where other teams would have to really think about it. They can just bin them off and it doesn't matter financially. They were able to basically wholesale transport the perfect executive structure for Pep Guardiola from Barcelona into Man City before Pep Guardiola even got there, right? These are the things that Man City are able to do because of the resources they have. Everyone else has to build slowly over time. And while you're building slowly over time, other teams are running away ahead of you. So you need the right amount of perfect planning and execution of the plan and luck to be able to get close to them. And we have come as close to that as possible, despite so many of the setbacks and failings that have happened over the years. You know, and talk about luck. I mean, Liverpool, after they won the league, they lost Virgil van Dijk and finished fourth. We keep Saliba fit. I do feel this season ends differently. He is that important. I think it's been a while since people have watched him play, so people have kind of forgotten how good he is and just how transformative a player he is for our overall side and our overall structure. It's not satisfying, and I'm not blaming it on one player because, again, it's about a squad. And it's But there are certain times in a, you know with a team, with a squad, where there's a key cog and component and you remove it, the team isn't the same. If you look at Man City, the minutes that Rodri played, over 4,000 minutes this season, right? You take Rodri out of Man City and play Calvin Phillips instead, it's a very different situation for Man City. I'm not saying they don't win the league. I'm just saying it's different, right? They're not going on like a 14-game win run with Calvin Phillips as their DM. They're not doing it. So we just have to remember that there are certain things that you need for things to go your way. And there are some aspects that we just haven't had. Um, in part because we're partway through the process, so we haven't built the squad. And also in part because you need a bit of luck. And we didn't have it when we needed it, you know. Who loses a cluster of players in one side of your pitch at the same time in the same game? Losing Saliba and Tomiyasu in the same game. And I was at the Emirates that night. That was bizarre. But both of them going off in the same game. It's one of those things that changes your season. Yeah, I just... What can you do? Well, you can do what we're going to have to go and do, which is up the levels. And we can only do that through recruitment. Um, I'm not going to spend any time on the ideas that Arsenal bottled it or anything like that, because I just think the phrase, I get it, you know, it's sports, football, it's banter. I get the concept. I don't disagree with the, you know, the base premise, but the concept of bottling itself as a thing, I just find incredibly juvenile. You know, if you're a kid and you're in school and you talk fair enough, but I can't, my brain can't comprehend grown adults using the phrase bottled it. I can't. For me, if you're an adult and you use that phrase, the level of respect I have for you drops exponentially um, 
because it's such a bizarre thing when you're talking about finely tuned elite athletes, the best of the best, the 1% in their field. And you think that they just bottle things like that's, uh, yeah, if you think, I don't know what to tell you. Um, no serious thinker within football ever describes the concept of bottling it as a real thing. There are other considerations, not necessarily excuses, but reasons. There are other considerations, many of which us as fans wouldn't really know much about because you'd only really know about them if you're in it. You know, um, think about your job, your career, what you do to make a living. Think about what people outside of your job, outside of your profession, think that your job actually is, what it's actually like, and then you think about the reality of your job. Right? I have a lot of uh, friends who are creatives, actors, singers, and people who don't know them have this idea of their life and their career and what they do. But when I talk to them about their life and their career and what they do, the reality is very different to what people might think they do. The pressures of their job and how they work and how they have to live to do what they do is very different to what people perceive their work to be. So when I when I look at things like this and people use the phrase bottling, I just think that is an incredibly reductive and myopic way of looking at things. But do you? These lot of professionals, the reality is they just didn't have enough of everything you need to keep up with this monstrosity of a city side. Um, and it's a city side that's nearing its apex um, with one of the all-time great managers, one of the best number 10s to ever play the game, a striker who scored more Premier League goals in a single season than any other player in the history of the competition, and a squad which has been assembled, the likes of which this league has probably never seen, bar maybe Peaks, United and the Invincibles, with a manager who has a backroom staff that's been tailor-made just for him, with the same minds that built Guardiola's Barcelona. Like this, that's what you're up against, right? Um, so yeah, I just, I don't, I, I can't deal with the whole bottling thing. It just, I, I find it stupid and I, I can't engage with it in any seriousness. But I do think, however you want to delve into the nitty gritty of it, we are where we are because we're ahead of progress in terms of the process. It caught us sort of it caught us cold in the sense that we weren't we weren't ready for the challenge that we got met with and we got met with it because our starters are there and the rest of the squad isn't and we didn't have the necessary luck to help us get over the line i kind of think it boils down to that really um and everything else is just a, a mixture of that which is why getting the summer right is so important look going from eighth to fifth isn't um big issue for a side like us if you don't do dumb things you know we languished an eighth for a while because we were doing dumb things um if you can stop doing dumb things you can get from eighth to fifth pretty easily on our resources fourth to second is tough because the differences from fourth to second can be pretty minuscule one bad transfer one side of your pitch is, is a little bit undercooked one player is off form one injury to that one one area you drop enough points fourth second can be a pretty tough leap but second to first is millimeters it's inches at best at most we have 
we have to build a squad that can compete with this Manchester City for an entire season in all four competitions. It's millimetres. If you can compete, um, you can take advantage of any mistakes that this City might make. They've done the three-peat. If they fall off a little bit next season, we have to be in there to capitalise. And to do that, we have to build a squad that will allow us to maintain the level we've reached for 38 games. The, look, the club, they have the data. They know which players can physically cut it and which can't. Arteta has been around these players. They spend more time with each other than they do with their own families. He would have seen who, which players, whose attitudes are right and who isn't. He would have seen who adapted to the pressure and who crumbled under it. We're improved. The quality of player we need to go to the next level has to be the kind of player who can help us as a squad reach the upper echelons of the highest level of football. That is what makes this next step so difficult, which is one of the things that's going to make what happens next season somewhat unfair, but entirely predictable. The standards set by Arteta in this squad now mean the expectations are going to be so much higher. He's not going to be able to say, we're not there yet because everyone's going to say, look what you did last season, what you had. This team should be better than last season's. If it's not, you failed. If it is, you should be doing better. He, he, There is no way for him to go back from. He was eighth before, then fifth. That he can go up from there. He's he's near the pinnacle. So, you know, when you're at the top, the only way is down. Unless you can go further, higher up. And that's kind of the, the point I'm making here is that we are talking millimetres. We are talking the best of the best we have to overcome. That's where we're at, which means we really can only sign players who can make us take that next step. And that next step is at the pinnacle. I don't know how else to stress this enough. You know, back in the day when we were getting linked with Unzozi and Zaha and for where we were, any one of those players could have helped us. The number of players who can help us get from second to first, that is a smaller pool of player. It is a very small pool of player who can help us make that next level particularly in the time frame that you need to, to not end up losing some of these players from this project. Agents are going to be calling Eddie's phone nonstop, offering their client services. You know, we aren't begging superstar agents for their aging clients, you know, who are looking for a, a quick pension. We are going to be looking for some of Europe's most sought after players. Um, and look, progress isn't linear, right? So, just because we jumped from, you know, eighth to fifth to second, it doesn't mean that we're instantly going to go first. Maybe next season we're third, then we're second, then we're first. Who knows? Progress isn't linear, but progress has to happen. And what we've seen is progress. So, you know, I don't think we've had a successful season. We've not won anything, but we've progressed. We haven't failed this season, but it's been disappointing. But overall, for the majority of the season, it's just been fun because we've gone from the pits, the dump, the sewer, the slums to being so close to the promised land. You have to have enjoyed it. But now comes the hard part. The fun and games are over. It's about winning against the best of the best. 
you know, I think in defense, we're probably going to be looking for some kind of right back, center back, you know, more superior cover or competition in that area. You know, who knows? Maybe we go for a different profile of right back and have Ben White and Saliba competing for center back. Who knows? Um, midfield, number six, number eight. If anything, I kind of think we maybe need two sixes and an eight, but there's only so much money, only so much, so much by way of funds. In attack, I do think we need more speed, more size, more goals. Um, the front three are a dead set. It's not a conversation, but we need a fourth option that really pushes them for a start. I think that the club think that Trossard is that player, and I get that, but I do think we need more speed, more size to apply pressure. We need someone who can come in there and say to two of those front three, you might not play this week. Do you remember when Smith Rowe and Martinelli were competing for that left-sided spot? Martinelli has that on lockdown. No one is touching Saka for the right. And while Trossard has done well playing as sort of the false nine through the middle, and that's kind of where I think he should be, I think he should be a Jesus backup, potentially, depending on the game state and the and the opposition going into the left for for um for Martinelli. I I would love to see a different profile of attacker, a pacey, tall, strong, wide forward who can play through the middle or play wide. But whether or not we have the resources for all of that, I I do not know even with the Champions League money. But speaking of the Champions League, that poses a very different question for us, both in terms of physicality, um, technical level. It poses different questions. We can't go play Lokonga, Turner, Marquinhos, Vieira, Eddie, Nelson, um, you know, all in the same squad in midweek in the Champions League. No, it's going to have to be that team that starts against Liverpool midweek. They start midweek in the uh, Liverpool on the weekend, they start in the Champions League midweek as well. The level of rotation, we can't rotate in, you know, eight backup players, rotation players. What we need is rotational options who push the quality of our squad up, which means when we swap out one player for another, the level doesn't drop. I mean, we need squad depth of comparable quality, not just squad depth but squad depth of comparable quality. I mean, players like Turner, Nelson, Smithrow, Holding, Vieira, Eddie, how many minutes did they play? Turner played 630, Nelson 559, Smithrow 180, Holding, you know, 1,397, Vieira 1,398, and Ketia 1,849. By comparison, Martinelli played 3,440. Jesus, 2,257, and he was injured for four months of the year. The likes of Turner and Nelson and Holding, they made up the majority of the Arsenal bench for the majority of the season. They barely played. You know, we still took this league to game week 35. How many minutes did City's bench play? You know, like I said, Turner got 630. Ortega, 1,125. You know, Holding, 1,397. Cancelo, 1,867. And he was gone for half of the season, right? You have players like Vieira, 1,398. Foden, who spent most of the season coming off the bench, 2,502. Eddie, 1,849, and he was our starting striker for the period that Jesus was injured. Alvarez, 2,433, and that's with Haaland ahead of him, bagging 50 goals or however many he's got for this season. Do you see what I'm trying to say? That the rotational options have to be good enough to step in and you don't question that they're, rota- that they're backup players, but they're genuine 
rotational options, right? So when Saliba goes out and Holding comes in, that is not a rotational option. That's a backup. That's the reality. When, you know, when, I don't know, um, Stones or um, Akanji go to the bench and Walker comes in, that is not a backup. That's a rotational option, you know? Phil Foden for, uh, I don't know, Grealish, rotational option. This is what we're talking about. It's, you know, Mares comes in for Bernardo Silva or Gunnar one. Rotational option. It's, this is what we're talking about. This is the level we need to get to. We need to have it so that our players who come in are not backups. They are rotational options and anyone switches in or out to help manage each other's minutes, but also allow us to play slightly differently depending on the opposition without necessarily compromising our principles of play. It's clear Arteta doesn't trust our current rotation options because they're backups. Um, and I understand it because if you drop Odegaard and you play Vieira, you're not going to get the same. If you drop Saka and play Nelson, you're not going to get the same. We do not know what the hell has happened to VSR. Um, now he's had, obviously, an, a pretty serious surgery um, for a problem he's had for years and years and years. So it might just be that Arteta is managing him in the same way that he managed Martinelli back from a serious knee injury. Um, a lot of people seem convinced that Smith Rowe is done. I'm on the fence. I'm kind of 50-50. There's sometimes I think Arteta clearly doesn't rate him. The way he talks about him in press conferences, it's not like with Martinelli. With Martinelli, he was bullish. He was very much like, I love him more than you do. Trust me. With Smith Rowe, it's, he needs to show he belongs here, essentially, is what he needs to show he has the stuff. That's effectively what he's saying. So there are things coming out that make you feel like he doesn't really, he's not sure if he can trust him to deliver on a pitch. But equally, I we've seen redemption arcs at Arsenal, right? I don't think anyone expected Granite Xhaka's career to unfold the way it has. So the season's over, they go away, they come back for preseason. Even if Smith Rowe's on the chopping block, even if he's one of those players who could be sold to raise money, if he comes back from preseason, fire in his belly, hungry, fit, focused, and he performs well, then who knows? Um, but either way, Arteta is going to be looking to build a squad who he can rotate in and out of both competitions and go deep in both competitions, if not win them. Um, Next season, we need minutes to be dictated by style of opposition, not perceptions of the relative lack of quality compared to our typical stars. You know, last season, only Burnley and West Ham made fewer changes to their starting eleven than, than we did. City were first. This season, we're last place again. City were fourth. We need to make more changes. We need more rotation. And it's understandable, last season, the season before, given how bad our squad has been. So given some of the players we've had in recent seasons, it's understandable. But from next season onwards, we need to up the level. And if we can't, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer this project's a five-year project. I believe we're, you know, maybe two years into it. I think the club pivoted after Arteta's first year. Um, because don't forget, the first couple transfer windows weren't Arteta's. They were holdovers from San Leahy that... Um, the, the club were basically seeing through. They'd already been decided by Sanley. Arteta joined halfway through one season. That transfer window was already decided that January one. 
and then the summer window, that was the San Leahy one that was already decided, and that was the summer that San Leahy left. It's the season after that I think the club pivoted. So I think we're two years into a five-year project, personally. Um, so the first couple of years was just squad turnover, getting that starting eleven right, flushing out all of the you know all of the the crap, the dross. And I don't want to talk about players that way, but given where the club was and some of the issues going on from a sort of interpersonal level, let's just call it where it is. They had to flush out some of the shit so that we could start fresh. And yeah, we have that with our starting eleven. So next season we need to add that depth. It might be another season before we add the final pieces. We'll just have to wait and see. We got pretty close this year, so you'd hope with a bit more we can go again. But of course, we're not the only ones. Um, lots of players will be, lots of teams will be looking to add to their squads. And you know, before I kind of touch on that point, here's the thing about rotation with Arteta. Some of us, myself included, I've fallen into this trap. So you know, so I might be speaking for myself only. Please let me know. We assume that when he has a squad full of appropriately talented players, he'll rotate. We don't actually have any evidence that that's true. Um, we don't have evidence that he will rotate. We do have evidence that he doesn't like to rotate. Um, but to maintain a trophy challenge, particularly on four fronts, he has to rotate. You would have seen with City, and again, hate to invoke comparisons, there were certain points of the year where they dropped... Um, De Bruyne to the bench, you know, or Ortega started in goal to give Edison just a, a mental psychological rest. Foden spent a ton of this season on the bench, you know, so did Mares. Um, there was an odd game here or there where Alvarez started ahead of Haaland, or where Haaland came off at half time and Alvarez came on at half time. You know, there was a chunk of the season where Rico Lewis is getting minutes, um, and Akanji was playing a little less when Ake was playing a little less. Throughout the season, Pep finds a way to rest and manage even his key players and still win games. But that's because the players rotating in for them are good enough so that the level doesn't drop. You can understand why Arteta doesn't want to rotate because more often than not this season, as much as we've called for more rotation, when those players are rotated in, the team drops points. When we've had a stable starting eleven we won. The moment we started rotating out some of our starting 11, we dropped points. And that's not going to have been lost on our tail. So it's understandable why. But we can't have that going forward. Um, the challenge ahead of us is going to change. And so we're going to need to change with it. Um, and that's the reality. He's he's shown that he's ruthless enough. We've seen, you know, the way he's got rid of the likes of a uh, um, Genduzi and Aubameyang and plays like that we know he can be ruthless and within football he's spoken about like a genuine generational talent of a manager and I'm not exaggerating within football that is how Arteta is viewed but he'll have to go out and prove it City will improve Chelsea will improve City are going to have to replace if he doesn't sign on Gundogan and Bernardo Silva if they both leave so imagine what City are going to do with their number eights. Um, who knows, maybe Mares decides to move on because he feels he's not getting as many minutes as he wants. Um, we know Chelsea are going to continue to try and improve. For me, a big, big question mark about Chelsea and whether they improve is how many players they can sell, not necessarily who they buy. They've got Christopher and Cuckoo coming in as a striker. 
who is a ridiculous player who's played all over the pitch, ridiculous talent. You know, had a couple of injury point, uh, issues recently, but sensational player. He's been he's they'd already signed him from last year, so he'll be coming into the side. Um, if they can sell enough players and then bring in a few more, who knows where they'll be? United back in the Champions League, Champions League money. They finally have a good manager. Remains to be seen whether or not they can get their act together. But just what Ten Hag has done alone this year, they've come a long way, but they've got a long way to go still. And a good few signings might help them kick up a little bit. Um, Liverpool, we know that they need to rebuild their midfield. We don't know how that's going to go for them. But what you will say is teams like City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs to a degree, we all need players in midfield. We all need players, eights and sixes. And we're all going to be looking at similar players. You've already seen it. Chelsea want to keep Mount. United are interested in Mount. Liverpool are interested in Mount. Arsenal are interested in Mount. You know, City are interested in Caicedo. Arsenal are interested in Caicedo. Um, Liverpool are interested in Caicedo. Bayern Munich are interested in Rice. Um, you know, Chelsea are interested in Rice. Arsenal are interested in Rice. Like, everyone is looking at the same players. Um, now, we have some players in our squad who we need to get rid of to raise some money. It looks like Shaka will be go going. There's players like Holding, Tierney, Lokonga, Tavares, Pepe, maybe even Smith Rowe, maybe even a Thomas Partey. Um, we've had players that we've, you know, managed to keep hold of. Saka signed a new contract. Nelson looks like he's going to sign one. Ramsdale, Martinelli, Erdegaard soon to come. Question mark about Saliba, whether or not he's going to sign. He looks pretty happy. He's got a strong negotiating position, hoping it will get done. No rumours about other teams sniffing around and that kind of thing. So bodes well. It's probably just a question of how much money and for how long's the contract. And is there, you know, some kind of sort of, um, you know, some kind of uh, buyout clause or whatever the case is. But we've got those things internally that we're taking care of. And the selling is going to be important. We really need to, you know, plays like Runison and we need to, we need those plays need to be gone. But the incomings, particularly in midfield, particularly in midfield. Now we know, like I said, Shaka to Leverkusen for approximately 15 million. It's probably done or going to be done very very soon. Um, we have some sixes and eights we need to resolve. Now, for me personally. I'm not mad at the Mason Mount rumour, to be honest. He's good on the ball. He's exceptional off the ball. And with what Arteta needs our midfielders to do off the ball, I can see why Mount, I can see why they want him. For me, it's not a question of Rice or Caicedo. For me, it's Rice and Caicedo. I feel like those two players, we need both of them. I do think we probably need to move past Shaka and Partey. I do think Partey's availability is going to be a question mark. Um... Shaka, we already know it's been seven years. It's time for a change. Both those play th players, 30 plus, I just think move on for both of them, get younger, fitter, stronger, faster, younger. That's where I think we need Rice and Caicedo because I think both those players should leave and those two players should come in. And if that's the case, we still need another number eight, I think. Um, now, this is where the question of whether Vieira steps up and becomes the player that he should be, whether... Smith Rowe steps up and becomes an interior player and plays that right eight, uh, sorry, that left eight. These are the question marks. You know, like I said, he, Smith Rowe comes back for preseason, performs like an absolute monster. Maybe Arteta goes, right, 
you're my rotational, um, you're my right eight, my left eight, sorry, you're my left eight, that we don't know. Um, but Smith Rowe needs to step up and, and improve or he's gone. Vieira will need to step up and improve, otherwise he may find himself with a January loan next season on, you know, on his way out the door. We don't know. But um, for me, I just think six and eight are going to be so pivotal. There is the sort of right back center, right center backs conundrum for me, whether we go for like a Fresneda type, um, whether we go for just a sort of right sided center back, kind of like a Kivior option, but on the right, someone who's clearly the backup, but can step in and do a good job. Um, that's the question, really. Midfield, I think, like I said, we know we need the six, we need the eight, we need more control. It's not just a case of sort of like reverse passes, blind passes around the corner. We need players who can help us retain the ball and can protect against transition. So that's one of the things that was amazing about having the Saliba and Gabriel partnership at centre-back. Transition against them, good luck. Very few players were successful in doing it. You know, Rashford at Old Trafford, Ollie Watkins, Villa, there weren't many more, really. Um so imagine if we have technical security in terms of our ability to keep the ball and not give away silly passes like Erdegaard against Forest, for example. Let's say we have the technical security to keep the ball, but let's say we've got the physicality so players can't get past us, or if they do, they're being hunted down by Rice from the six and they're being blocked in by Gabriel or Saliba at the back. You know, if you can have a team with that kind of running power, it's incredible. And not just that. We're talking physical transitions. How many players in our team currently have the size and speed to transition with the ball through the thirds? Saliba from centre-back can take it from defence to midfield. He's got that. Um, Martinelli with his pace. He's got that. Saka with his just general skill and ability. He's maybe got that. But there aren't many in our team who does. Jesus, just his general slalom, skillful running. He's got that. But there aren't many who genuinely can pick up a ball and just transition through the thirds. Declan Rice can. You know, he really can. You can give him the ball and he can hold on to it. He can win the ball back and run through the thirds and bring the ball forward. And when he does that, he draws players to him, which frees up space for other players who can be devastating. It, you know, all the reporting suggests that Arsenal are ready to go in big for, for, for Rice. I feel as though that's something that they should probably make a priority but for me personally I think it should be Caicedo it's we're talking sort of Rice and Caicedo not one or the other I think one or the other still leaves us a bit short but that's just me you know there's so much of the summer that hasn't happened so much that's yet to be decided you know there are players that we've probably not even heard of that are on the club's radar that they might be interested in bringing in so we talk about the likes of Rice and Caicedo because that's who we know about that's who's being spoke about that's who's in our consciousness but there is a world of players out there and there could be any number of players who we've never heard of who could help us with um, with what we need going forward. There are other parts of the squad we still need to resolve. The Balogun and Ketia situation, you know, is it one, is it the other? Do we get rid of both and bring someone else in? Do we keep both and find a way to try and integrate them? It doesn't sound like that's something Balogun's interested in. It sounds like he's basically saying, get rid of Ketia, keep me or I bounce is really what it sounds like he's saying. Me personally, this might sound this might sound weird, but I'd kind of be okay with selling both of them and using the money to buy a genuine striker option who can, you know, get goals off the bench. That's that's you know, 
Eddie is great. He's fantastic. I don't know if he's a goals off the bench guy. I, I, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. When he comes on, a lot of the time we're in a very particular game state. So he's not necessarily coming on to chase a goal. He's coming on to help us keep our lead. So the emphasis is a bit different. But even if the emphasis was different and we were bringing him on to get a goal, I don't know if he's a goal off the bench guy. He's a guy who I trust. If he was a starting striker for a good Premier League side, I trust him to get 15 goals a season as a starter in the Premier League. And he has the potential to get more, but I trust him to do that. Off the bench, I'm not sure he's that the, the guy for the goals, but I love Eddie. So, you know, I'm, a, I'm someone who thinks Eddie is, is better than a lot of people gave him credit for. So... If we kept him, I'd be fine. But in in the spirit of what I was talking about, of the upper echelons, the pinnacle, pushing to be at the top of the top of the top, you know, if you told me we sold Eddie and Balogun and we brought in, you know, someone who could really get goals off the bench, who could really push Jesus, you know, if not in the footballing skill department, but in the goal-getting department, I would be okay with that situation so we'll see what the club does I'll, I'll be very curious to see anyway that's it for me um as you said for this season it's not been a success but it's been progress it's not been a failure but it's been disappointing but overall more than anything i've just had a lot of fun and i kind of want to reconnect with the fun so this weekend with the final game against wolves um final game of the premier league season I think there's just going to be a lot of positive energy about. There's going to be a lot of positive vibes um, over here in the UK. It's a bank holiday weekend. Um, I think there's just going to be a lot of positivity. I hope at the end of the game, whatever the result, the fans give the players the send-off they deserve for what they've done this season. I have no doubt that they will. I think it'll be a good time. So, yeah, looking forward to that. And then we can crack on with the summer. And, yes, silly season, all the transfer talk and gossip and... Yeah, it's going to be ridiculous, we know. But I'll be looking forward to having a little bit of a break from the week-in, week-out football just because I think this season has been intense, to say the least, but enjoyable for the most part other than the last few weeks. Um, but it'll be nice for the players to be able to get away and just forget about football for a while um, and for us to indulge in our, our fantasies of who the club could sign and project our desires and wishes on them um, before we get back for pre-season and see what's what with who stays, who goes, and what the squad looks like going into the new season. So, yeah, Wolves coming up. Um, no preview pod for that. It's the last game of the season. Who cares, to be honest? Um, you know, for me, I hope Matt Turner starts in goal so he gets a prim- some Premier League minutes. Um, I hope we see, you know, Shaka get the send-off he deserves. It'd be great if he gets a goal. You know, shit. Give him one last red card for the road. You know, just for old time's sake, give him one last red card for the road. Um, honestly, the, for me, it's about the occasion of the players getting the send-off they deserve for having such a brilliant season. That's all I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to that guard of honour. Uh, guard of honour. The, the, you know what I'm talking about. The lap of honour. That's the one. Anyway, that's it for me. It's your boy Caesar here. Thank you very much for listening to the Hybrid Club. Please do subscribe, like, repost, share, retweet, all of that good shit. Um, appreciate you listening. It's been one hell of a season. It's been hilarious. It's been fun. It's been entertaining. Do get in contact. Let me know your favorite moments. Um, we're going to be doing our award show at some point. You know, our end of season review, um, the players we think did well, the ones who we think exceeded expectation, goal of the season, game of the season, all of that stuff. So we'll be we'll have that episode coming up in a few weeks' time. But we're going to have a few bits of content, you know, for the summer. 
the um the sort of story of Arteta so far that I've been planning to do since like Christmas is finally coming. Um so yeah, we're gonna have a lot of content as well as obviously all the transfer stuff and other Arsenal news. So anyway, that's it for me, people. Um it's your boy Caesar, you know it's find me on the socials, C E A S E S A W Y S, you know it's find us at the hybrid club. In a bit, people, in a bit. Imagine, just as I finish recording, I see the news. Arsenal have launched their new um, 23-24 home kit. Um, yeah, I like I like the home kit. I do. I like the home kit. I think it's... Um, I didn't at first when I first saw the, the pictures online, but i got to say, I'm feeling the red, white and gold. The away kits can get in the bin, they can get in the sewer, get in a dumpster, give me some gasoline, I'm lighting them on fire, never to be seen again, let's exercise them out of existence. The away kits I have no time for, but the home kit, the home kit I like. Anyway, it's just, you know, it's typical, isn't it? You spend an hour, however long, recording an episode, you're about to hit publish, and all of a sudden you realise, oh, there's a new bit of Arsenal news that you haven't covered. So basically, this is me spending one minute talking about the new kit which has just launched. Like I said, I am a fan. I do very much like it. I very much enjoy it. Didn't at the start. Like, I do like it. It would be very, very nice to see us go and, you know, win a Premier League, or dare I say, even a Champions League. Let me look ahead of myself. It would be very nice to see us go win a Premier League wearing this jersey. What are the chances of that? To be continued. But yeah, it's definitely a good look. Anyway, this is actually it for me. Have a good one, people. In a bit. Gabriel Martinez!